Welcome back to the Amateur Theatre Podcast and episode number 24. Today we're talking to Kate Nunn, who is a actor and director working in the amateur theatre scene. Our conversation focuses on her directing process as she has a new show coming up. I was very keen to get an understanding about how she picks the plays that she's doing, how she auditions for them and her rehearsal process. So loads of great stuff and info and ideas come out of the chat today. And please do, if you can, look out for Lemons, 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 which is taking place from the 5th to the 9th of April at Modern Art Oxford. I'll stick a link in the show notes to that production. I'm sure it's going to be a great one. But for now, sit back and enjoy my conversation with Kate Nunn. Like, that thing when they say, what's your earliest memory? I think I honestly don't remember anything before the day at the age of six that I didn't get to be a polar bear in the school play, which I really wanted to be, and I had to be a kangaroo instead. <laughs> my friends that I spent most of my time with at school and at university and things were never drama people. It was always They're like, really I had my friendship group, and then I went to drama club, or and then I went to an audition for plays, and made other friends through that. Um, but yes, it certainly wasn't something where I was kind of finding that, well, I just fell in with a particular group when I was 12 and then it sort of funneled yeah. me that way without even kind of thinking about it. Um, I just love it and I, I can't quite stop. Like, even when <laughs> like, there's a point where there was a year um, after I kind of started trying to get involved in Oxford Theatre, I was cast in a couple of shows. And then I had a solid year where I auditioned constantly and I could not get cast in anything for love really? nor money, not one single thing. Um, and I was on the verge of just saying like, this is, uh, this is ridiculous. This is, this is the universe telling me like, quit, like yeah. seriously, just quit. Um, and I just, I would sit there going, why do I, why do I love something that involves permanently putting myself up for yeah. repeated rejection? Why am I <laughs> doing this to myself? But I just, yeah, I love it. I love the, the creativity of it and the um and the social side of it as well yeah. I think it's such a huge part of it through school and uni my friendship groups were predominantly not my drama kind of friends initially but actually in Oxford it has become drama's become the the probably the main way it's the way I met my husband it's how I've met probably most of my friends um and it helps you find you know it's gives you projects to do with the people you already like it gives you a chance to meet new people who you're going to like um and everyone sort of says oh it's so hard to make friends when you're a grown-up you know when you're not going to class anymore or anything I'm like well it's much easier if you've got a hobby that introduces you to new people every three months yeah, um, yeah. so it's that and, and sends you through a really like bonding experience it's yes. like proper you know you come out and you're properly like we are best friends forever yes, now. <laughs> yes. Because, um, yeah, we were all there the day that thing happened with the duck on the bench. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. Um, I'm not trying to gloss over this kind of um, six to 
post uni period. <laughs> no, you I'm definitely super... can. It's fine. <laughs> no, no, no. Nothing but important happened. <laughs> no, but only because I'm super keen to like get onto like how did you be- get into the directing from being an actor? What was the kind of what was that transition? Um, I think I I owe my entire directing path um, I owe to Eleven One Theatre because um, right. I I'd done a couple of things with them. I'd acted and stage managed with them, um, and. And then I did a show with um, with Mike where we acted together and we um, chatted away backstage. And I think I just mentioned that, oh, you know, kind of starting to think about directing, but oh, I'm coming back to the imposter syndrome thing again. You know, I'm, oh, I'm not sure I'd be good enough. I don't, I don't know if I'd have enough ideas. Oh, it's, it's very scary. Um, yeah, it was basically all because they were willing to take a chance on me and offer me an opportunity without having any idea whether I'd be any good at it or not. Um, that yeah that I ever got the guts to try it and so yeah I owe them a lot but yes I think going in as, a, as an actor helped as well because it and obviously by that point I'd watched several directors at work and so I had it's it wasn't as blind as if I just sort of turned up at my first theatrical experience thinking I want to be a director not an actor so let's dive in um yeah I'd been able to observe quite a few people and draw some ideas of things that I thought I'd like to do it like that and others where I thought no it's probably not not what I would do or that's not for me just following this thread how after that or I guess let's just start encompassing that one plus others that you've done what it what what is the process that you kind of go through when you're either someone has said they've got a script and they invited you to take it on or that you kind of are selecting a script to do how what what is the things that kind of excite you what are you looking at what's the yeah what's the drivers for saying yes to a project or no to a project or selecting a play interesting um oh gosh so slightly different things for different types of plays I suppose Mm -hmm. but for all of them I want to care about the characters so I want to believe in them as people and I want to care about what happens to them and if that's not there then the play's dead in the water for me from the start. And it doesn't matter what else it has or doesn't have because it's it's never going to be, it's never going to be for me. And is that, sorry, I'm terrible. I always interrupt, but no. is that, um, is that just the emotional arc the characters go through that you like have an affinity with, or is that you just like a bit of drama to occur to, a, you know, something that happened to a character or kind of what is the, you caring for a character is, is just that you, you want them to do well or because obviously there's some plays where, Sadly, <laughs> nice characters do not do well. But mm. um, I don't mind a tragic play. I don't mind someone, you know, a play where it's like, oh, I really like this person. And oh, look, now they and everyone they ever loved are dead. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I look for something with a strong, a strong story that I think will be interesting for me, be interesting for actors and, ho- and be interesting for audiences. Because again, if it hasn't got those three, what's the point of doing it? And can you can you pinpoint what that is? Again, I'm sorry that I'm trying to press you on what what that might be but is there is it is there anything specific or is it like you say is it just unique to the play that you're reading you just get that mm. feeling that the story is is the arc of the characters is strong or the or the kind of the idea behind the story is important for someone to hear or the the setting is you know relevant to what's going on in our world now that you want someone to, is there is it or all of those things I suppose maybe combined yes I think I need to read it and feel like I'm interested in this story I want to know what happens right I need to feel like if the if the actors are doing it that they've got something interesting to like these these characters aren't just cardboard cutouts or kind of mouthpieces for the author's views or something that they're going to have something 
where they can play with interesting emotions or they can do fun action sequences or they there's yeah, some yeah. There are things there that would be interesting if you were an actor working on it and something where I just think like if I was trying to if I told 10 people about this randomly in a lift like at least a couple of them would say yeah I'll come and yeah I think if it hasn't got if it hasn't got that then it's again it's it's a no-goer but I mean I've chosen place for so many different reasons I've yeah, <laughs> chosen, oh, yeah. I've done, <laughs> I, I did um I did measure for measure a few years ago god about nine years ago now and you know I picked that because I thought it was just the most fantastic once I cut the the comedy characters out who I wasn't even remotely interested in um but the core of it was this fascinatingly modern story of hypocrisy and corruption in high places that I just I read it and I was like this is written in the 16th century and it's I saw these immediate parallels with the kind of hypocrisies that we saw particularly in kind of US politics so I, I set it in a in a US political arena um, so that was what hooked me on that but then I did you know, Sense and Sensibility a few years later that had none of those things but where yeah. I was pulled in because I adore the book and I adore Jane Austen and I love this story of these two sisters who are so different but so devoted to each other and just this lovely warm story that so many people could just come to and enjoy and and love being in the theater and just being surrounded by this lovely world so the two of them had almost nothing in common but both were just immediate read them was just like I have to I have to put this play on okay cool and did what do you think about kind of the audience when you're making a selection are you are you because it again it sounds like as you as you mentioned it, it the the essence of the story is really important to you and and what drives that story forward through either the characters or the impact on those characters makes the work process enjoyable for you and the actors are you thinking about the audience and their you know what they take away challenging them or just giving them a joyous time is that is that important yes i think it definitely is and again it's one of those things where in the same way that i find different things in the plays for myself I find different things in it that I think it will give an audience as well. Okay, so when you when you have that play in your hand, you've read the text, it sparks something in you, you you've seen what it might do for yourself, for the actors and potentially the audience, and there's there's the idea that the message that it tells, whether that's just a nice story for people to listen to or whether there's something more kind of deeper than that, are you already picturing in your mind how the play will look yes I tend to put a lot of thought into what era what place really brings out this side of the story that I that is my key focus so then that starts me into okay I've got the 1940s I've got modern day United States I've got wherever I'm putting it and then that usually sets me off into costumes and then I'm thinking about oh well wouldn't it be fantastic to make it all look dark and gothic or fantastically brightly colored or whatever and so I end up with visuals as I suppose a helpful hook for exploring a lot of the rest of it so I realized that by the time I've stopped thinking about how I want my show to look I've already done half my thinking about characters and stuff because I've found like thinking oh well of course this character would need to be you know, wearing something like this or they'd need to be presented in this kind of color palette because of course they're like this 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 and this so it usually it really gives me a head start on exploring a lot of the rest of the elements of the play which has started out as 
what color costumes would I want people to put in, you know, be put in in this nice yeah. 1940s village that I'm imagining it all being in or whatever. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Okay. that's good. And in preparation for a rehearsal, are you or the rehearsals, are you kind of going through line by line, making sure you understand it all? And are you kind of like pulling out, maybe with Shakespeare specifically, bits you don't understand and, and trying to work out what they mean? Or, or are you leaving that to discovery with the actors? Kind of how much pre-work are you doing on a script just to to enter into the rehearsal space? Um, a lot, usually, because I want to pre present the actors with a with a finished cut. I want them to have the script that is definitely the script from day one. So yes, I tend to go through, and by the time yeah, by the time I've kind of cut it down extensively and then gone back and cut it again and then gone back and put that line I liked back in. Um, I'm there isn't usually anything left where I'm like, I don't understand this line because um, right. I've spent so much time with it. Um, yeah. And to be honest, anything that I find still is is kind of unclear or hard to follow, it, that's usually a reason to get rid of it. It's usually like, well, if, I'm, if I've read the script three times and I'm still a bit unsure what that means, you know, it's probably a good chunk of the audience only hearing it once in passing in the middle of a scene it might well be inaccessible to them as well. So, you know yeah. what, something's got to go off this page. Let's take that out. Um, so, yeah, it's, um, it is usually one where I go in pretty, pretty confident that I know what, what most of the lines mean. Um, and, yeah, um, usually pretty, pretty on top of my script. Yeah, okay. No, that's good. And how, in terms of the characters then, how much are you allowing yourself to make decisions about their nature and their interactions with each other and what what that will look like given that and I haven't yet we haven't yet come on to how you kind of approach the rehearsal room because obviously that will shape how much freedom the actors have and stuff but are you allowing yourself to make decisions that are going to be challenged in the room or are you are you making decisions that you don't want to be challenged or how kind of how do you approach the the, the characters in the in the script um so I suppose again with something that you're that you're cutting yourself, I guess by definition you're you're having to make some choices. Um, so what I you know what I take out and what I leave in is shaping and being shaped by um, what I think the character is. Um, so I do tend to come to it. I guess by the time I'm walking into the rehearsal room for the first time, I usually have a, yeah an idea of what I think each of the characters is like um, and what I think the key relationships are and what they're like um some of them it's kind of quite a big um quite a firm kind of idea of yeah I really I know that I really want to do this with this character um so when I directed Twelfth Night I knew that I didn't want Orsino to just be a clown I didn't want him to be okay. uh, a, a ridiculous figure um because we we did set that was the one I set in the 1940s and I I wanted it to be immediately post Second World War so that it was amplifying all the loss that everyone had suffered and I thought I really wanted to look at Orsino as someone who had suffered a lot of loss instead of just being this kind of faintly pathetic guy who's just in love with love and doesn't know what he wants um, I wanted to look at him as someone who lost a lot and was looking for connection and um and that yeah that there was something behind that sort of devotion to Olivia that isn't really it's not true love it's but there's something about why is that attachment there and how can he then 
while still having that for quite a lot of the play, how can he then fall in genuinely in love with someone else? Yeah. Um, so I'd made sort of some decisions like that. And then other ones where I was just like, I, you know, I feel like this character is probably like this. I feel like this character is probably like that. But we'll see what happens when the actors are up on their feet. So I certainly never want to walk into a rehearsal room and just say, it is this. Your character yeah. is that. I have decided. Just do what I say. Actually, I think when I am looking for something specific, it tends to be a specific chemistry rather okay. than okay, that's nice. for each individual, for any individual person having to have such and such sort of very specific thing to be this person. I think on the occasions when I'm looking for something, when I'm testing for something specific in casting, it's when I'm when I know this relationship has to work. So I need to find two people who who have that magic chemistry. So yes, that's my that's the thing that I probably have a slightly more yes yeah, specific kind of eye on in auditions, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah, no, that's nice. Do you have a specific audition process that allows you to get that, or are you trying different things? Do you do group ones sometimes? Sometimes it's singular monologues. Are you looking to callbacks that make sure you pair up people, or how kind of? For most of them, I tend to get people to do a little piece on their own at the beginning, just so I can see them completely unadulterated by by anyone else's influence just what what they're like on their own and I usually get them to do at least part of it a second time so that they get a chance to do two different things with the same piece um so I get them to do it first time however they want you know take the piece away prepare it for five minutes come back do whatever you like with it and then I usually tell them to do something that's as diametrically opposite as I can think um so if they did it happy do it angry if they did it sad do it overjoyed just so that I get to and then you know even if it's working against the words just so that I get them to see them do two different sets of feelings with the same piece and to see how comfortable they are with taking direction and changing things up and yeah how flexible they are and all that kind of all that kind of stuff that they can show you and then yes I tend to send them out after that with a a two or three person piece and then as we work through the monologues I've got a grid steadily filling in next to me as I populate it with who's gone out with what piece okay and I like I know that I wanted to see you with this person so they've gone off with this duologue so yeah if you go and find this person and read that with them they're already working on their half so there's a lot I basically feel if I, if I come out of an audition not completely knackered I haven't been working hard enough yeah okay because <laughs> there's a lot of kind of I always try to be appraising the person I'm watching for the thing that they're actually doing, but also already trying to think, okay, you're great at this. This is fab. I'd love to see you now do this kind of feeling, or I'd love to see you matched up with this person. So I'm going to give you this piece so that you can read with them in the next round. Right. So yeah. And the ideal audition, you get to do that another time round as well. Yeah, a lot of a lot of planning and a lot of thinking on your feet because I, I always want to see people in as many different combinations as I can. And sometimes, yes, I know I've, I've gone to auditions and been so nervous on, you know, on a monologue, a monologue round that I've just been so pathetically grateful to be allowed to come back <laughs> and do a duologue with someone else where you've just got someone else in the room with you. And so so you can focus a little bit more easily on on them and it takes your mind off your nerves a bit and everything. And so. I kind of feel like if that's happened to me, it's probably happened to a bunch of people. And Definitely. Yeah. It's, but then sometimes, of course, the duologue can be, sometimes people shine more on the, on the monologue because if you're matched with someone where perhaps, you know, you, you don't have the good chemistry or, or something, it can, perhaps that doesn't show you to your best advantage. So I always, I like to kind of do both to try and yeah. get the best chance of seeing the best out of everyone who comes in. I totally agree with that. 
Okay, so let's say you've got your cast, you're happy, you've got all the wonderful people that you want. Your your process as you go into rehearsals, are you how are you setting up the room? And I don't mean physically where the tables and chairs, but like the the dynamic in the room and and what you you know how you're presenting it to the actors. You, is it kind of how how is that first third of that hmm. kind of rehearsal process going when you when you finally get them in the room? Um, I think I'm doing at the moment, I'm directing um, a production of Lemons, 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 Lemons for Ronin. Yes. And that is one where it's, it's a two-hander. It's a completely non-linear. It skips back and forth across the course of a couple's relationship from before and after a very draconian government law is passed that limits how many words you can say. And it skips back and forth. Neither of the actors can't really leave the stage. It's a one-act show straight through so I've been really aware from the beginning that that's going to put some restrictions on what you do and how you do it and we're also because we're performing it in modern art Oxford um, where we'll be breaking the set down every night and rebuilding it every day that's going to put that's put some more kind of restrictions around what we're going to do with kind of set and everything so we've ended up with something that's very minimalist partly because of the script and partly because of the, the venue. For that reason, I've been putting a lot more work than I normally do in before rehearsals to kind of thinking out potential shapes for the blocking. Whereas, yeah, with other shows, I've been much more tending to sort of, I'll go in and start with chatting through the scene, chatting through, you know, what do we think it's about? Let's talk about the characters. Cool. And uh, let's get up on our feet and just busk it see okay. you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fix anything in advance that I'm gonna say you have to do I just want you to to go through it and see what you feel as you go is right to do and then at the end of that run through we'll pick out what felt like it worked for you what looks like it worked kind of visually from from the front for me and we'll keep those bits and then we'll look at what we want to do about changing the other bits Are you approaching- so yeah I'm quite inconstant okay are you it's no help at all (laughs) no no, no. again weirdly all of those little things are really important actually that someone knows that if they're taking on a show and they suddenly realize i haven't actually thought how i'm gonna approach my rehearsal well it doesn't have to be a a consistent way of doing it you know that this show you can do it this way and that show you may have to do it a different way because as you say a large cast or specific staging requirements um fundamentally the key to all of that i think is is clear communication so I think if you, yes, if you're able to be, to be clear about what you need to do, what you're expecting from people, if you're open to listening as well as to talking, because the communication being a two-way thing as well, if you're always ready to listen, if you're always receptive to people's ideas, if you want to hear what they want to say, as well as being able to clearly say what you want to say, I think that's, yeah, that's going to make your job so much easier. I don't know. Yeah. I think if you can't, if you can't communicate clearly, I think it will be a struggle. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry. I was, no, I th- I've cut you off. No, no, no. no I was going to totally agree because I, I, I feel the one thing that I don't bring up enough in these sort of interviews is that yes, your artistic ability, your creative ability is very important, but the thing you said about kind of like, well, obviously communication, but like people management is you're working with people who aren't being paid who who have so much other stuff in their lives going on and that can be emotional stuff it can be the physical act of going to work and then coming to rehearsal 
you're dealing with so many different types of people and you haven't got the one thing that professionals have, which is they're being paid. So turn up and do your job. You haven't yeah. got that. And so it, it definitely is one of those massive things. Like if you, you have to, you can't just be a dictator because yeah. you, people just go, well, sod you then I'm not going to tomorrow. Yeah. You, you know, you want to do that scene. I'm going to be there. I'm, you know, exactly. I'm going to be doing yeah, you, my hair or whatever. Yeah. Yes. I think you have to, you have to kind of respect that everyone there is doing it. You from, you know, from you to to the actors to to the person who's popping in to just do one task each day, everyone's just doing it because they love it. No one's no one's getting paid. So yeah, yeah it's it's yeah, it's why you've got to respect people's time and got to be organized as well. I think that's another thing about directing, which comes down to that thing of like yeah, not not calling someone for twenty minutes and then making them sit there for two and a half hours or whatever. I think yeah, the more the more organized you can be, the more you can respect other people's time, the more that you can make it clear that you're kind of yeah that you're trying to make it as easy and as kind of properly well thought out for everyone else as you can yeah the more everyone else will be able to get on board as well because they'll you know they'll feel I think it helps everyone feel like you're all part of it and you're all equally important and it's not just something where someone sits at the top and decrees I say you do this and whether it's like I say you come for the whole night or I say that you do your character exactly like this or any of that stuff because your actors are going to have great ideas and they're going to have Definitely. amazing insights that you haven't even thought of and they always are no matter how much prep you do they're yeah they're going to have thought of stuff you haven't and yeah you'll make something much better between you all if you're all investing in it together and all pulling all your ideas and thoughts than if someone tries to just run it like a like a dictator <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, is is it a chronological approach normally, or is there? Are you how are you selecting kind of the first few weeks of scenes? Is that do you normally want to see the leads first, or do you normally do the ensemble bits first? Or you is there in your head a kind of again, again, it might not be consistent across all the shows, but um, is there kind of like a, a thought process on the most dramatic thing we need to get? down because that might take more work or anything like that so yeah there's a few different kind of uh considerations that I usually kind of start with so I will I'll usually dried up my rehearsal schedule by grouping scenes by common participants so that okay. people you know in in Twelfth Night you do all the Toby Maria Andrew cheek scenes on one night and you do all the Viola or Sino scenes on a different night so that people when they're coming they're really being used. Not, I never want anyone to come and be like, oh, I just did 20 minutes at the beginning and then I had to sit there for another two hours when I could just have been at home because yeah. that's, I, I feel like that's really disrespectful. <laughs> I feel yeah, like, agreed. you know, just devaluing other people's time and assuming they've got nothing better to do than sit at the back of my church hall. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, I tend to, I, I divvy up my scenes into those pools of common participants. And then in terms of how to decide what order to call them in, I do tend to put anything, any big choreography sections always have to go early so okay sword fights dance scenes I always want those if I possibly can and you're always restricted a little bit by availabilities but assuming you physically can get those people and the people you're getting in to teach them if they are you know instructors or anything if you can get those people in to be the first rehearsal of the entire schedule that would always be my preference okay, um, cool. so that we can always so that we can then practice 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 all the way through the rest of the schedule and everyone can go on stage feeling the most prepared they possibly can for any big choreograph section because I always feel like dances stage combat anything like that 
we all just we all just need to know it like the backs of our hands before we go on stage because yeah. that's the only way for everyone to be happy comfortable and safe <laughs> um yeah yeah definitely no it's a big problem with me i always i'm always approaching dancing like i've got, got to do the dance okay i'll plan it in okay i'll just push it a little bit because we've got <laughs> we're working on these things and then you're two months away like oh crap dance and then you do it one month away oh no and then every yeah. rehearsal's dance 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 yeah dance. <laughs> exactly and sometimes like sometimes situations kind of force you into that like i suppose that's that's the other thing that kind of shapes my scheduling is just the very prosaic who can i have when definitely so i mean i i'd love to just organize my rehearsal schedule by kind of yes priority of scenes or anything but i think the reality of it for me is that it is almost always okay who do i have on tuesday the 27th who do i have on thursday the 31st okay right so i can do this and this and this and i have some ordering to so the final section is usually pretty set in terms of you know i know i'm going to want to do this many final runs and this many half runs and and I want to have this many kind of tweaks and fixes sessions scheduled in to catch anything that I need to catch so that kind of last lump is usually pretty pretty set um yeah and then before that it almost always in reality ends up being okay right this person's on holiday for a week so I need to move all their scenes to before and after and yeah it ends up being a a pretty pragmatic decision making yeah. process no yeah and I, I feel your pain yeah um, <laughs> what are you looking out for in terms of like markers or or things you're seeing that that make sure you're heading in the right direction like just little things that like that tee you up to say okay i know you know this is good you know we've got this down or you know this dance is sorted for one mm-hmm. or we've got you know are you are you looking out for those just to know that you're heading in the right direction or are you hopeful that we did I know we've got to do every scene four times and if we do every scene four times I'm happy that we're going to be ready Mm. so yeah I do tend to have I guess I have in mind before I start that like there's a minimum number of times that I feel like I need to do a scene on a rehearsal schedule so that I can be confident at the beginning that by the time I get to the end everything will have had enough rehearsal time um so I always feel like I want every scene to have had at least two sometimes three depending on the play um passes in a in a rehearsal before we start doing half runs or um or full runs where there's less time to get back into something and exactly nitpick it apart and kind of you know fine tune it um so yeah I do have a sort I have an idea of roughly how much time I want to give everything and then in terms of when I'm as I'm going through it what I feel like is you know, the things that I feel are signs that, yeah, we're on the right track, I guess. Yeah, it's confidence with any of the big, big physical choreography stuff. You know, if we got late in the process and people were still unsure of their dance steps or something, that would be a worry. And that would be something where I'm like, OK, right, I'm escalating that up the list of things to do in the in the fixes sessions and stuff. And similarly, any any other kind of sort of business. So if there's, you know, cast doing scene changes and stuff, it's like, you know, are they okay are we getting we're in the final few weeks are people starting to know already that they need to go and get that bench they're not needing the stage manager to to remind them they're not needing to like they're not looking at other people to be like help what do we do next you know they're starting to get that confidence and that assurance and and that that's building as you go so kind of yeah those kind of familiarity and and just confident being confident and relaxed about the stuff you have to do on the stage and and up around the stage and I suppose in terms of the sort of the actual performances 
when you just when you know you can start seeing actors really being able to just relax into what they're doing that they're not worried anymore that they're not going to know what the next line is and they're not worried that they don't know what to do in a scene change or they don't know you know anything like that and they're able to just kind of let let fly a little bit I suppose with yeah with with the feelings and and get you can see it when when kind of actors are able to just let go and be in the scene because they're not worrying about things around the acting anymore yeah and I always feel when I start seeing that that's always one of the big reassurances that yep everything's gonna be everything's gonna be all right <laughs> this is gonna be where it needs to be when it needs to be there yeah okay cool so I guess in my mind the next logical question is what what's kind of your process for drawing out the characters and shaping your overall vision with all the other individual characters that are kind of doing their own story arcs or their own character arcs how are you as a director kind of you know how are you kind of like approaching the scenes I I mean I like to do a lot of chatting about characters you've probably picked up from the stuff <laughs> I've said already so however I'm however a kind of a play is going it usually involves the earliest rehearsals with um with actors talking yeah talking about their characters what you know I because I want to know what they think about their character about why they do the things they do about if there's a tricky section well why do you think that's that they're saying this this line that seems a bit out of character what do you think's going on there so a lot of it I think comes from those kind of conversations before we really start getting kind of stuck into things um about this of the mechanics of you know well you'll be stage left and you'll be stage right or whatever sorry are you sat in the rehearsal room having that and then saying let's get on our feet and try that mm-hmm. or is it a let's spend the first week talking about it and then we'll and again I totally appreciate you know you said a couple of times and I, I I'm not trying to ignore the fact that it's different for every play <laughs> yes. but kind of like uh, in in your mind's eye are you, are you integrating the kind of the blocking the movement and then the conversations all at the same time or do you like to get a feeling from the actors through conversation that they're beginning to understand kind of the shape of the role they're playing and then you can get it on their feet get it on get it up on their feet and kind of um I like to I like to do it kind of all fairly together um so I'll kind of a rehearsal will generally be a bit of talking and then a bit of looking at the physical side of it I wouldn't um I I don't think I ever have and don't think I could imagine myself ever doing a thing where we just spent the first week talking and not doing any physicality because I feel that the talking the talking informs the physicality and the physicality informs the talking and and you you know you might feel like you want to revise something you said about your character now that you've actually got it up on its feet and tried doing the thing that we all talked about and, again and, and against someone else as well who's giving you something exactly. to feed off yeah. yeah so I feel like I'd never want to to pull them too far away from each other I much prefer to and I like to kind of focus a reasonable amount as well on kind of the characters with an eye to what we're doing tonight kind of thing okay oh, okay so you need to obviously you always want to do some stuff about like the character in general and overarching and everything but I feel like it's quite useful to to be able to also chat about specifically this scene and this thing what do you think is happening there because I think it helps you sometimes I, I find I think it helps to get into some of the kind of other layers of the character if you're then examining something really specific whereas I think if mm-hmm. if I spent a week just chatting to people about the kind of the, the most top level things about their character the character in general the character across the whole of the story I feel like I might miss some of the the smaller things which you only really access when you think well why why does why does John Dashwood 
do this in this scene particularly and and that's the little key that unlocks well he says this thing to his wife so I think actually that means this about his character and because you were looking at that one really specific detailed thing you focus in on something and you found something that I think might be harder to get to if it was always done in a broader context so I think sometimes the specifics help yeah definitely what are your expectations or, or how are you helping the actors develop that stuff are you pushing them to do backstory stuff are you pushing them all to kind of have a character question sheet that they that they answer are you kind of how much do you want to shape what they're doing kind of outside of the rehearsal room so that when it comes to the rehearsals you've you've got kind of them feeding in as well because they will i know naturally most do but are you kind of guiding that or are you allowing it to be kind of like a this is your character go away and have a think about them and then we'll discuss um i tend to i tend to prep questions in advance that are about that aren't on the page that aren't things like well what does your character think about the shipwreck and you're like well of course on page 83 they say this it's it's not like right answer wrong answer how thoroughly right. do you know your lines kind of stuff it tends to be you know how do you think your character voted at the last election or which of your you know your two characters are in love which of you do you think loves the other one more and it's that kind of stuff where it's like there is no right answer there is no answer that's definitely there in the text it's literally just I want to know what you guys think and and you might and kind of getting those answers out at the beginning but with the kind of acknowledgement right from the start that like those answers might change like we might we might say one thing, you might, you know, you might say one thing and, and someone else in the cast might say another thing tonight. And after we've worked on this for three weeks, you guys might have completely switched your feelings. And that's, that's okay. And that's fine. That's also good. It's not something like, I want you to answer this question now. And now it has to be your guiding principle throughout. And is, yeah, yeah, you've fixed yeah. your character now forever. So yeah, I, I really like doing those kind of non-script specific character chats I find them really helpful for me as a director and um hopefully for the actors as well it's the sort of stuff I like to think about when I'm an actor yeah no I I I do wonder about the actors that that aren't doing that work and I guess what you're saying will help them that approach in terms of setting up questions isn't kind of putting them on the spot so much as saying we can discuss this point and whether they knew it or not or had thought about it or not you're not saying well, you should have been, why, why have you not thought about this? It's more like, this is an interesting thing that some might have thought about, others haven't. Mm. Let's have that discussion. So I guess that's good for a director to have those questions or something in that kind of realm where they can just just tease out stuff that actors might not be thinking about because they haven't got time or because when they leave the rehearsal room, they don't think about their character. They, they just wait till they walk back in the rehearsal room to kind of have those emotions and, and feelings. Yeah, because of various constraints they may have in their lives so yeah I like it it's a nice it's a nice kind of way to to structure it for the actors as well yeah um, I, I don't like to give I don't tend to give anything that's kind of sort of homework outside a rehearsal room very much mm-hmm. beyond learn your lines um <laughs> so I never want to kind of yes ask people to oh as, as well as all the time you're giving up for for the actual rehearsals please could you also write me a 500 word yeah summary of your character's backstory or anything but yeah, I think it is so helpful to, to kind of explore some of those things. And I think setting aside a bit of rehearsal time for that, I think is just always so worthwhile. 
I always find it really helps me. Yeah. So in terms of the shows, before you hit those sort of half runs, full runs, do you go through the scenes and sort of score them? Do you, in your head, do you go, okay, scene 10, pretty much bang on scene seven, scene six, we need to get those working better together. How are you, how are you getting like clumps of scenes together? Because obviously you could have one scene that looks great. Are you going from one scene to three scenes to five scenes to half a play? Or are you kind of doing the first three, the next three? How are you, mar- how are you building up to this point where you're ready to kind of do runs? Um, yeah, I think because I'm, because I usually have have done my scenes by by common participant, it means that I'm often doing them completely out of sequence. So it'll be scene one, three and 12 on one night and four, yeah. seven and 21 on the next. Um, so one of my biggest priorities when I'm coming up to to doing the, the assembly, basically, is putting it's getting everyone comfortable with the actual order of the show and all the transitions. That's the that's the big thing that I know that I need to put in once we start building it up. And it's the thing that I know with a kind of scenes by common participant, not by sequential order in the show. That's the thing that they, that actors don't get earlier on. So that's that's always probably the main priority when it comes to building up. So I tend to do, yeah, common participant scenes, scene, 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 scene. And then I'll usually do, depending how long the play is, you know, a quarter, you know, quarter run, quarter run, quarter run, or if it's shorter play, half run, half run. Working on obviously practicing each scene, but also starting to to build that that through flow for the show and getting people comfortable with where their scenes are how much gap they have to do any yeah I've got to do a costume change do I have loads of time or no time and I need to move a bench where am I immediately after the bench so that's one of the that's the kind of big priority that I know about in advance and then in terms of kind of keeping an eye on the scenes as I go through yes I do yeah by the time we're getting towards the final stages where I usually have one or two rehearsals set aside for fix things that are broken. Yes, you're usually got a pretty solid sense of, I know the scenes where I'm like, yeah, this is, that's looking great. That's looking great. That's looking fantastic. That's almost there. It'll be there with the remaining time we've got. Eat, this one's got some glitches, you know, perhaps things often, you know, hit with some surprise unavailabilities and we never got to do that scene with everyone actually all there at the same time or oh this was the one that persistently ran long so it never got as many run throughs so it's behind or yeah whatever's hit there's always something that's been hit by something (laughs) Um, um, or just something where it's like oh I I didn't quite realize that this was going to be as this had such and such element in it that's that's actually proved much more challenging for the people involved than than I naively assumed at the beginning would be the case and actually yeah that needs more time so I don't tend to go through in any kind of organized way kind of regularly marking them or, or kind of anything but I tend to find that that's just building up in the back of my brain as I go so that I am usually pretty aware of like this is the scene I'm worried about these are the ones that are fine these are the ones that are really brilliant and they just need to make sure that they stay that way you know yeah. <laughs> okay cool and then you're those those run-ins that you're doing so however, however many you kind of in your head set aside for the full runs is there a structure to that or is that is that just let's just do it and see where the issue is or is it you know the first one is just guys we haven't done the full play together since we did the read-through bang second one is 
all the props are coming in. Third one is props and costume. And I, and I fully aware that costume tends not to be there until, you know, the weekend before the show begins yeah. with amateur dramatics. But um, is, is there any sort of, in your head, this would, this would be ideal that we, you know, we do it with the set or with some of the staging or, um, you know, we will have that bench that we have to move mm. in this run. I think I tend to... I tend to try and bring things like props and stuff in as as early as I can, to be honest. Okay, throughout the throughout the throughout whole process. as much as I okay, can. Cool. Um, okay. Obviously, yeah, depending if you can get them and all that kind of stuff. But you know, anything that I can bring in early, I'd like to, so that people yeah. are just used to it. Because I kind of feel like the less you have to additionally learn late in the process, yeah. the more you're just automatically comfortable with. Because you've always been picking a cup up on this line. Yeah, yeah. The happier everyone usually is. So. Yeah, I tend to I tend to try and have that kind of as early as I can. I don't tend to have any kind of set system of like, oh, this one will be the costume run and this one will be the the set run or anything. Again, unless unless I'm with a company that's got that kind of pattern, uh, like, oh, well, this is the rehearsal where we always bring all the tech crew and they they want to yeah they come and they watch and this is partly a proposal you know partly right. a rehearsal for them or anything. But generally, I tend to just kind of yeah the the main priority for those the sort of the single aim is just taking everything we've worked on in isolation and making it stick together as a play that everyone knows what they're doing and where they need to be so that's usually the main kind of main kind of aim by the time I get there yeah which is uh, yeah which is probably the best aim to have to be fair just to run it I've realized over the years that just running it with people is super important they want to they want to go through and they want to have the whole thing yeah in their heads yeah together so yeah, doing the unglamorous work as well as the glamorous work about drilling in the practicalities, making sure if there's anything your actors need to do, that they've had time and time and time again to practice it so that they can go on stage and just just give themselves over to the performance and do the absolute best acting that they can do without ever having to worry about any of that stuff. I think that's a massive thing. And it's a, it's a really achievable thing. I think it's something that you can easily adopt into a process and it will just pay off by the end in spades. And the other thing I'd say, I guess, is look out for pace because a really good show can be terrible if your pace drops. And actually okay. a pretty ropey show can pass a lot of muster, I think, if it's rattling along and there's, you know, okay, so maybe maybe the performances aren't what you might see at the National Theatre or something, but you know what, if they're, they're on and off at, at pace and the things are happening at the time that they need and the plot is rattling along, people aren't gonna sit there picking holes in it. Whereas if, you know, if there's these horrible lags and there's dead stage and everything feels like it's taking three years to just move from scene to scene, um, all the other floors will be much more exposed. Yeah, definitely. Okay, then when when you hit the shows, from a director's perspective, what's your, and again, I I appreciate and I hope people listening appreciate that although a director is the director, in most cases, director is also putting chairs out and moving stuff around and having to find the prop that went missing. So it's not like they're sat just reading notes in preparation yeah. for the opening night. Um, but but with all that going on, is are you, how, are you allowing at this point the show to be the actors or do you still feel like you have an input? Are you offering notes after like, night one and night two let's say you're doing a week run or whatever it might be how how do you feel the job as a director kind of evolves once the show's I always feel like 7 31 on opening night 
the show belongs to the actors and it's like okay. i've done unless something goes really wrong um or yeah there's something comes in where it's like okay actually that thing i need to help fix that thing at 7 31 opening night it's like i've done my job it's theirs now if they can't like if if they're not if something goes wrong now if they're not doing something that i wanted them to do then well i had my chance to do that like right. i had my time i don't want to yeah by the time that the time actors are performing i don't want them to be sitting there thinking oh am i gonna get you know oh is is the director gonna pick me up on that afterwards or right, okay. oh maybe the director won't like that it's like no you should just be they have to just be able to be in it and yeah just completely subsume themselves in it not worry about what i'm thinking because yeah by that point i kind of feel like i should have i should have prepared them as much as they need to be prepared everything that needed to be done is done now and they should just yeah they should just be able to enjoy doing the thing doing it, that they yeah. prepped it's not my it's not my job to to pick any kind of pick up on things or be like oh i just thought like maybe this line could have been a little bit different i've had three months to do that like it's theirs now um, you're a better human than i am <laughs> <laughs> i mean i can't promise i won't be thinking some of those things no yeah. no i'm just kidding <laughs> and i mean yeah, theoretically, seven thirty-one. As the curtain goes up, I'm sitting there in the audience with a, with a glass of wine. Um, right. But yeah, realistically, of course, there are always the nights when you're actually like backstage with hair curlers, trying to yeah, yeah, yeah. Ma- madly doing someone's hair, or yeah, trying to find the the lost prop or whatever. But um, <laughs> but yeah, it's certainly my directing job is done when the okay. when the, the metaphorical curtain goes up. Okay.